You're listening to the Women's Health Collective Podcast, where we're talking about all things related to, you guessed it, women's health. This podcast focuses on exploring taboo topics that affect women of all ages. I'm your host, Morgan Staten, women's health occupational therapist and founder of First Year's Maternal Health. I'm teaming up with various other women's health professionals from across the globe in hopes of arming women in their health and wellness journeys with the greatest weapon of all, knowledge, because a knowledgeable woman is an empowered woman. Welcome to the latest episode of the Women's Health Collective podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Staten. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Tori Ford. Tori is the founder of Medical Her Story, an international award-winning youth-led nonprofit on a mission to eliminate sexism, shame, and stigma from healthcare experiences. Tori is an outspoken sexual health advocate for those whose work has been featured by UN Women, CBC, and Canwa CH. You can correct me later. Um, she also holds a bachelor from McGill University in Gender Studies and MPhil from the University of Cambridge in Health Medicine and Society and is currently pursuing her PhD in primary care at the University of Oxford. Her work on advancing gender health equity has been recognized by McGill Scarlet Key Award and the University of Cambridge Vice Chancellor Social Impact Award. So Tori, thank you so much for being here. We are so happy to have you on the Women's Health Collective podcast. Amazing. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how medical, well, what medical her story is and how it really got founded. For sure. So um, my bio tells a little bit, but I would love to share more. So all my life, I've really been active in sexual health spaces. Um, my grandmother was a sex educator. I taught sex ed in high school. It really became something I was passionate about. And as I entered into university, I enrolled in gender studies and became really interested in the medical aspects of how sexism, shame, and stigma become really, I don't know, like amplified onto individual bodies within medical encounters. And then as I got more into that, I went on to do a degree at the University of Cambridge, focusing on health, medicine, and society. So doing some medical sociology, um, again, looking at sexual health and women's health specifically. Um, and now I'm going to be doing a DPhil, which is based in my lived experience on chronic yeast infections at the University of Oxford. So I've really been able to bring the academic side into my academics um, and sort of tackle this problem of gender health equity from a few different angles. We know that it's a problem in terms of a lack of research. So I figured I would help out and do some of that research. We know it's a problem in terms of um, allowing people to self-advocate and also combating gender bias that's perpetuated by healthcare professionals. Um, so that's how Medical Her Story started. It was born out of my own lived experience. I'd been living with chronic yeast infections for years and seeking out help everywhere I could possibly turn. And I was being dismissed with words such as, some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. I was 
um, given, you know, different doses of medication that felt really random. Nothing was really working. I had test kits done that were then lost. It was really exhausting going through this process. And I didn't really understand, you know, why wasn't I being taken seriously? Why wasn't I getting this help? Like what was wrong with me as the patient that wasn't deserving of that kind of care. And that led to me disengaging from the medical system entirely, um, turning to, you know, self-treatment, which I still don't think is the best option and wouldn't recommend that. Um, and turning to, you know, different support circles, different spaces. Um, I worked a lot in sexual violence response at McGill, also in some women's health spaces and started slowly opening up about my story and what had happened to me. And as I did, you know, more and more people said, you should really write this. Like this story has so many twists and turns and unexpected things. Um, and so I did, and I wrote it for myself. I wrote it as a way to sort of process what had been happening. And as I did, it started to make sense. You know, I was always sort of confused. Why do I feel so anxious to go to the doctor's appointment? Like, why am I crying in my car? Like, it's just a doctor's appointment. And when you can trace back years and years of medical dismissal, of gaslighting, of being judged, of being mocked, of being not taken seriously, it just started to make sense. And I went on to publish this story in our school newspaper. Um, and it went on to make the front page. And this was pretty scary at the time because I thought, you know, chronic yeast infections are so taboo. They're so stigmatized. No one's talking about them, you know, in their friend group, let alone publicly um, at a university. But I received such a positive response of so many people saying, thank you so much for finally speaking out. Um, I have this condition too. I'm living, you know, with other things of chronic UTIs or um, having an STI or living with chronic illness and all these different things that, you know, so many people go through, but we're never given a space to talk about it. So I decided to create Medical Her Story as a place to share those stories, to give support. Um, and now that small publication has grown into an international not-for-profit. We have over 120 volunteers at 24 universities and seven countries who are working every day to eliminate sexism, shame, and stigma by you know, recruiting more stories for this publication, running our social media pages, hosting a range of different events to highlight you know, lived experience and the latest research. And then also we take these stories now and we use them as workshops for medical schools, for patients and the public um, to eliminate gender bias. I love that. First of all, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story because I know that that's I'm sure it gets easier as you do it more and more, but I know it couldn't have been easy for you initially starting out. And I think so many people are going to resonate with that, whether they also are going through some chronic yeast infections or anything else that is impacting their life, but they don't feel like they can talk about in a public setting. I, mm -hmm. I love that you are so open and honest about your experience because it makes you relatable, but it also makes your company so much more credible because you've been through this. You've been through the gender bias. You've been dismissed. And I feel like, I mean, I know that I have also had that experience um, through various doctor's appointments. Um, there was a period of time where in high school, I was fainting like pretty frequently mm. and they, it took them four years to figure oh. out what was going on. And it turns out that I have low blood sugar and I need to be eating at more frequent intervals. But the fact that it took so long to get that, what 
in my eyes, is a simple fix of just eating more frequently. Um, it took a long time and I felt like people weren't listening to me. So I totally get your experience of not feeling like you're being listened to, dreading going to doctor's appointments, waiting weeks for lab results that were promised to you within two to three days, um, only to find out that they don't have your lab results and you have to do it again. Mm -hmm. So I, I thank you for opening up the floor for other people and opening up that space with your vulnerability for others to be vulnerable as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting the point about, you know, does it get easier the more time I tell my story? And I think it really depends on, you know, the context because like this movement, although it's all about empowerment, it's built on pain, it's built on suffering. And, you know, last week I was in a doctor's appointment having to retell this story, you know, seeing a new healthcare professional. I've just started again in the last about six months advocating for myself again. I thought, you know, I'm leaving overseas in the fall. Like I deserve care. So I advocate and advocate to finally see a vulva dermatologist who was the first healthcare professional who told me this isn't in your head. I don't know what the problem is currently, but let's figure it out and came up with like a four-step plan. And it was, you know, okay, this was mind blowing to me. Do a swab at home, you know, did a vaginal culture and said, I don't see anything. That doesn't mean there's nothing there. I had been to so many doctor's appointments where, you know, I'm undressing, I'm being vulnerable. I am showing my genitals to the physician and they're saying, I don't see anything. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, like it takes six weeks to see, to see you, to book an appointment. Like I can't choose when I'm going to have an infection. Like I feel fine now, but in two weeks, trust me, there's going to be something. So she gave me, you know, swabs to do at home when I felt that there was something. Did that, put it in, came back confirmed for yeast. Literally two months ago, I went to my primary care physician, did a swab, said there was nothing, said, come off all your medication. I think, you know, it's not a problem anymore and it's just your normal, you know? Yeah. And that's so frustrating to hear um, because again, I've, I've been through it in terms of like, I know there's something not right. And mm -hmm. there was, there was something not right. And as humans, I feel like we know our body best. Mm -hmm. Yes. Doctors have a ton of medical experience at, that we don't have and a ton of medical knowledge that we don't have. But I feel like being a practitioner myself, now I'm not a doctor, I'm a women's health occupational therapist. But again, I'm also seeing people at really vulnerable times. Mm -hmm. And as a provider, being mindful that they are the expert of their body. And it's my job to help connect dots based on my knowledge with their experience and what they're feeling. Exactly. No, and I think, you know, we need physicians who are, and health healthcare providers who are trauma-informed and understand this because it's such a vulnerable experience. And I think it's such a misconception that, you know, patients are passive in the doctor's appointment, you know, like, of course, the physician is the one who has that power. If you want a referral, be ready to, you know, advocate to make your case, to fight for yourself. And I think we don't recognize that enough that, 
being a patient is an active role and it is an exhausting role. And I'm sure, you know, in like those four years to get a diagnosis, that's not the doctor saying, come back and see me, come back and see me. It's you having to say, I'm worthy of this care. I deserve it. I'm going to fight for myself. Really coming up with often your own treatment plan of who you think, you know, you should go and see. And then, you know, hopefully getting that care. But in, you know, my five years, literally a few weeks ago was the first time a doctor validated me the first time that I felt seen and heard and like there was going to be a game plan well in the past it had always been you know okay I don't see anything this is your body's normal and do you know how damaging that is to hear that you know it's like I'm sure you would never say that to your patients in terms of like your pain's normal like your suffering is normal it's part of being a woman right like that's where it comes from that women are are meant to suffer that you know we are the ones who bear children we are the ones that um you know it's just normal that we have to endure this and I think it's such a big misconception and obviously you know um sex and gender the I think the discrimination is so interesting and in how they intertwine like there's both the discrimination of genitals so you know people with vaginas face certain barriers in terms of a lack of research a lack of care a lot of societal awkwardness and shame around this that's affecting women uh, trans people and non-binary people and then you also have the gendered aspect which is when you're femme presenting you're going to be stereotyped that you know okay you're going to be overly emotional you're going to be dramatic you're going to be hysterical so when you have sort of the combination of both of those um, that we see in cis women it's really unique in terms of, you know, it's all just adding up. And then when you go in and you have these complaints, it's, you know, often dismissed. We know that if um, a male presenting person and a femme presenting person go to the doctor's office and present the exact same symptoms of pain, men are more likely to be given um, pain medication and women antidepressants. So it's just interesting how our medical system sees people differently and how they interact with them. And then gaslights them into saying that medicine is objective and scientific and you know it's not about the patient when it really is um I think so it's important to acknowledge that yeah and I love what you said about the fact that men are prescribed pain medication and women are prescribed antidepressants and I think part of that might be because we're going nuts because nobody's <laughs> listening to us <laughs> At this, oh that point, we've probably already seen multiple doctors. We've mm -hmm. probably already seen multiple practitioners. So yeah, we're feeling emotional. Yeah, we're feeling hot-headed. And when we finally start to advocate for ourselves, we come off as aggressive. And then we get pushback from doctors of like, whoa, there's no need for that tone. There's no need for any of that. Like, you don't have to hound me about your lab results, except you might. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I think it's so interesting that you say that because I, I definitely, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg in terms of like patients aren't being heard, but then they are also being stigmatized and would, which came first. And so it's just so interesting to, to hear that. Exactly. And it's like, you can't win, right? If you go in and 
what gender stereotypes are, am I going to follow today? If I'm going to be, you know, the soft, shy, timid girl who's going to, you know, cry in the doctor's office, I'm going to be seen as, you know, oh boy, this is hysterical. This is psychological. Or if I'm going to be assertive and fight for myself, it's like, oh, not this one. <laughs> you know, oh, she thinks she knows more about this uh, condition than the doctor does. She's trying to take control of the situation instead of letting the expertise speak. Um, you know, so it's hard to find that balance. And I found, you know, some physicians are great that, you know, if you're getting emotional, we'll say, take your time. Like, I'm sure this is such a hard topic. Like you've been through a lot, like just saying that validates it versus, you know, oh, like maybe we should look at the mental component and it can be really hard. You know, I don't, I think of course, mental health is so important and we shouldn't, um, sort of downplay that, but we have to understand that women's health is really holistic. You know, there's no sexual health uh, problem that isn't affecting mental health and physical health and spiritual health. Like there's just not, you can't really parse it out and say that this is, you know, one type of issue and that's not going to impact you in different ways. Like I think that's uh, unfortunately in medicine, you know, even the way we study the body is so compartmentalized into the different organ systems that finding, you know, something that looks at you and isn't treating the yeast in your microbiome, but is treating you as a person. I think that's where we have to be heading towards care. And I think that's why storytelling, I always say is at the heart of medicine. It's in the way that we talk to physicians and it really just matters how we're listened to. And I think that there are so many ways you can employ feminist listening and compassionate listening to really hear patients and validate them because Honestly, if you're living with chronic illness, you know that a single doctor's appointment is not going to cure you. You know that, you know, there's no magic bullet at this point, but what you can receive is care and compassion and validation that can make your health journey feel a little lighter, that it can make you feel a little more empowered to make that phone call, to get that test done, to try a new treatment. And that is what's so important. And I don't think we should downplay that because as I'm sure you know, like, Traditional medicine is really created for acute conditions. It's not created for long-term ongoing care. So I think that's something physicians can be more mindful of and healthcare providers and also for patients too. You know, medical horse rate does a lot of work around patient advocacy and preparing for doctor's appointments. And I think that's just something you can keep in mind of managing expectations because um, it can just be so hard. And I think we don't, don't address that enough. You had mentioned earlier that you really started advocating for yourself again and your health and wellness. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like for you to kind of paint a mm -hmm. picture for our listeners, for people who may be having a hard time figuring out where to start for advocating for themselves? Exactly. So it honestly started with talking to other patients. Um, I had done my master's on young women living with chronic yeast infections. And in doing so, I got to hear about other people's treatment plans. And one of them had mentioned visiting a vulva dermatologist. And when I heard those words, I thought, what? Like this exists? I've never even heard of this. I seem like I would be the perfect patient for that. Like, you know, this is a condition that affects my vulva vulva, skin, dermatology. Wow. Let's check that out. Everything I've been doing has been, you know, sort of trying to treat this internally through different medication, through different pills. It hasn't really been working and I would like this treatment. So I decided to set up a call with my GP. Did a telehealth appointment, which I've actually really found empowering and helpful to be able to, you know, 
not, I don't have to go to the doctor's office. I can sit in my room. I can, you know, um, have a nice cup of tea with me. I can have that conversation. I can have my notes next to me with what I have in terms of, you know, questions I would like to have addressed my goal for the appointment in this case, a referral and boundaries. I did not want to talk about the impact this was having on my life. I knew this physician particularly wasn't the best at addressing those needs. Um, and I didn't want to get emotional. Those are my goals. Um, so I had this telehealth appointment and I highly recommend, you know, preparing yourself for appointments. And also um, I'd set up a date with my partner after to go and get some burgers uh, because I think it's important to reward yourself for doing hard things. So that was my game plan. Um, I got on the phone call and it was much harder than I imagined. Um, I mentioned, you know, that I would like this referral, um, that I would like to see a specialist. Um, my first question was actually, hey, um, I heard from a friend that there are vulva dermatologists. Like, are these a thing within Montreal? And she just said, yeah, of course. <laughs> I said, oh, like, um, I would really like to see one. I feel like we've exhausted our options um, with different things. And I know I haven't tried new treatment in a while, but I would really like a referral. And she said, a vulva dermatologist will not see you unless your genitals are purple and black, and then they will see you. And I said, oh, um, okay, well, I've been living with this for five years. I'm in extreme pain at least once a month. I think it's very severe. I would like to see a physician. And that's when she said, have you ever considered that this is just your body's normal? The last um, test result came back negative. This could just be your body's normal. And I thought, this was when the you know, emotions, I said, okay, just stay calm. And I said, um, I don't think it's my body's normal. I don't think pain is normal. And I would really appreciate to see this specialist. And then after, you know, finally said, okay, fine, I'll fax you the referral. I got off that phone and I did some deep breathing and I just thought about how unnecessary that conversation was. But then I had the date with a vulva dermatologist. At that point, I was a bit confused, you know, okay, am I overreacting? Is this not, is she going to be like, why are you here? You look fine. Um, but then I went to that appointment. Um, I had my mom take me. I'm all for bringing people that are good emotional supports. Um, went to the hospital downtown, saw the specialist. And first thing she said was, I see this all the time. I see chronic yeast infections all the time. I was not, you know, turned away for not having um, the most extreme uh, genital infection or pain. I was really treated with respect. Um, I am an intern at first, took my medical history for an hour and a half. That was how long to go through everything. I did not feel rushed. We talked in depth about, you know, pain in terms of um, everything. And it felt really great to be able, you know, to have that conversation. Of course, I was nervous. Of course, you know, some questions made me a bit more emotional, but I felt really proud of myself for being in that space. Um, and then when I did see the physician, felt really like just, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it was just such night and day between the conversation, the language used, the approach, everything like that. Um, a few things in the encounter too, which are really important for me are if there's any 
swabs going on, giving me the option to self-swab. Um, I'm a huge advocate for that. Early on in my diagnosis process, had a really invasive um, examination that was extremely painful. Uh, my cervix was cut. It was horrible. Um, so since then, I'm very aware of that. Um, and she had no problems with that at all. Um, talked through everything. And then for the first time also addressed multiple concerns and said, you know, I, you know, not to, maybe I should just trigger Warren, I'll talk a bit about my genitals next, but said, you know, okay, like what I'm seeing is scar tissue. What I'm seeing is a history of fissures, of tearing, of a lot of serious damage. And this was shocking to me. I had been to multiple gynecologists, multiple GPs, both in Canada and the UK who said, you know, things look great things look great. And to hear now, I can see exactly where you're feeling that pain. And you know, so many things in that appointment that the doctor did that were really empowering. Like, I think it's so weird in genital exams that I'm supposed to not be able to see what's going on, that I'm supposed to, you know, not want to look down there as they're doing it to have like, you know, the cover on me and, and this. And she said, can you just show me, like, can you touch yourself and just show me where you feel this pain? And I was like, yes, it's right here. It's right there. Like I can, you know, I feel that. And she said, I can see it. I can see the damage. And I thought, this is insane to me that we have been telling women chronic yeast infections are no big deal. They're normal, you know, right? They're not going to kill you. Like, of course, like it's not a huge deal. It's pretty benign in the long term, no real damage. And she said, I'm seeing damage. I'm seeing years and years of trauma and also um, internally as well, you know, is sex painful? Yes. I've told so many different physicians and she said, let's fix that. And to hear that was just so crazy. So gave me a referral to a pelvic floor uh, physio. And I thought, what? Like, why? And I, you know, asked about that and said, you know, damage is caused, you know, having infections over and over and over again. Like, that's not something easy on your mental health. That's not easy on your body. So let's really fix this. And I thought, wow, like this, I, I felt hope for the first time. Of course, you know, I'm still very skeptical in terms of it's been so long in terms of getting that cure. But after that, you know, I came home, I booked the physio right away. Uh, she gave me some new creams to try. I got those right away. Like I was very excited. Um, but more than anything, it was the way I was treated, um, the way I felt respected, the way I felt like I was the expert. And in total, I think that was about a three hour appointment and also just being given that time um, and not being downplayed that, you know, everything looks great. Oh, sex is painful. Try more lube um, and take some more Diflucan. Just keep taking it or, or don't like, I don't care. Like, so that's honestly what it looked like for me. And then after that, you know, I love food. I love eating out. So that was my treat, but I think everyone can find that thing, you know, whether it's watching your favorite Netflix show, whether it's taking your dog for a walk, whether it's calling someone you love, just having something afterwards to make you feel better, I think is great because also I think, you know, it can be hard if you have medical trauma to go through it, to keep going through it. And we shouldn't downplay that, but that was just one encounter that was, uh, really fantastic. And then pelvic floor physio, uh, I think it was two days ago now, which was also just fantastic. So it's interesting too, like in telling my story over and over again, how now there's, you know, more to this story. There's more to tell. There's a different angle. There's, there's refound hope, um, coming back in, which I'm really 
thankful for and really proud of myself and also obviously my community and everyone at Medical Her Story that I was, you know, texting live updates um, throughout all this, uh, being supportive because otherwise, you know, you're, you just feel so alone, um, which is really hard. I am so happy that your global dermatologist recommended a pelvic floor therapist because I am actually a pelvic floor therapist mm -hmm. and hearing you talk, I'm like, you could benefit from pelvic floor therapy because I'm sure that there is damage. And I'm sure that there is at the very least your pelvic floor is tightening because there's trauma occurring over and over and over again, going to all of these doctor's appointments and you're not in a great state of mind. And we know that your relax, your state of relaxation, like if you're really stressed or anxious has a big effect on your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. And if people are going in and sometimes those exams are, are pretty invasive. And if you don't feel like you're validated and you don't feel like you're heard, you are already in that headspace of I'm stressed out. I don't want to be here. And then your muscles tighten up just like every mm -hmm. other muscle in your body, which makes that exam less pleasant even more less pleasant than it would have been to begin with. And then there is that increased risk of trauma because things are tight and your muscles are resisting what the doctor is trying to do. And then you get scar tissue, you get cutting. I know you mentioned that um, they had, they had cut your cervix mm -hmm. and was bleeding. And I, I've actually had a similar experience. So I had a, I have a history of ovarian cysts as well. Um, mm -hmm. in addition to low blood sugar. So I'm just, you know, walking, <laughs> I, I'm at the doctor all the time, but anyway, um, so they've actually had to do, I mean, I get yearly exams and they swab and do all of that. And, um, they, I was also on the Nuvering to prevent cysts because I didn't like how the birth control pills made me feel. So they were like, mm -hmm. well, your choice is birth control. You can pick a different kind of birth control. So I was on the Nuvering. And at one point I came for my annual exam and I was like, oh, did you want me to take my Nuvering out for this? And I had, it was a resident and they were like, what's a Nuvering? And I was like, oh, wow. What? And so he was like, okay, let me go get my my attending. And I was like, okay. So then they were like, yeah, you can take it out. No problem. I was like, okay, sure. Great. So then I took it out. I was like, do you want me to put it anywhere specific? And they were like, yeah, just put it on this napkin on the counter. And I was like, okay, great. So I did that. And then this person, this resident was not normally in the gynecology rotation. He just happened mm -hmm. to be there for one day. He usually does family medicine. So he actually um, put the speculum into my vaginal canal. Again, sorry, I probably should have mentioned trigger warning, but um, he put that in without any lube. And oh my God. Went in and I was like, ow, that usually doesn't feel like that because, you know, I've had a speculum in me before. And he was like, no, no, it's fine. And I was like, oh, okay. And then they were like, oh, you're bleeding quite a bit. I was like, well, yeah, that hurt like it didn't feel right oh my God. and so they had to give me like a maxi pad for the bleeding that I was having because they didn't use lube to put the speculum in and it was a metal speculum and usually I have plastic ones I don't 
I don't know what was happening. And then on top of that, they threw away my new ring on accident. No. <laughs> because it was in the paper towel that they had told me to put. And then they just got it out of the trash and rinsed it off and was like, here, you can put this back in. And I was like, um, okay. Oh my God. So yeah, I totally get like the invasiveness and when you're not being heard and you're not being listened to in terms of like, that doesn't feel normal, that hurts. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, 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 you're good, you're good. And like, they just kind of brush it off. Oh my God. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I think yeah, right. it's a funny story now at this point. I'm just like, oh, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> it's still so shocking to me that, you know, almost every woman has some sort of story, you know, even those that aren't, you know, activists that aren't on the front lines that aren't doing this, that have these stories that they might not even think are, you know, a big deal that they might think are, you know, oh, that was a bad experience. Oh, that was, you know, a bit weird. Um, And don't realize that it's a part of a larger structure that, you know, doesn't respect women's bodies. Like we know this in inside and outside of the medical office. And I think we often pretend like doctor's offices are neutral spaces, but things like that, like the carelessness with your physical body, with, with the vulnerability, with also, you know, you saying how you feel and someone negating that, um, you know, like if he was treating a male patient and said, Hey, I'm in pain. Would he say, no, you're not. (laughs) Would that be the first response? You know? And I, I don't think that, um, you know, physicians mean to hurt patients or that they think that they are belittling them. I think it's just that they don't think enough about how these biases affect their actions. And that I think that's something we encourage, you know, through our gender bias in workshop medicine, um, gender bias in medicine workshop, um, that we encourage physicians to reflect on that after the encounter to think about, you know, why did I make that offhand comment? Like, was I being funny or was I being disrespectful? Or why did I forget to put the lube on? Like, is it because I'm brand new to the job or was it because I just didn't think it mattered? When she said she was in pain, did I really not believe her? Like what was going on there in those dynamics? And I think only once you can admit that gender bias exists that you can start to actually solve it. Otherwise, I think it's a big case of uh of denial um yeah yeah I I totally agree and I also think that the way that our medical field is structured the like currently is it's very fast-paced like you said it's Mm -hmm. meant for acute illnesses not regular long-term care being followed not even if you have something completely wrong I mean like everybody should get a yearly exam gynecologically when they're an adult that's what's recommended to prevent like to catch things early and Mm -hmm. screening and that's why we have these prevention but sometimes these prevention and even regular appointments when they're not prevention are so rushed um there was a study done that said on average patients spend seven minutes with their doctor Mm -hmm. seven not even that's not even double digits and so there's no way that you can get the full story in seven mm-hmm. minutes, especially if you're like, okay, I have 10 more patients to see yeah, and I'm running behind. And um, yeah, so exactly. it, you can't be heard and you can't, like you said, look at something holistically in seven minutes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something we really preach at Medical Her Story is, you know, we are not saying that our medical systems aren't overworked. We're not saying that, you know, there are systemic issues within the amount of time doctors and healthcare f- professionals are given to see their patients. What we're saying is that that's always going to disproportionately affect women and marginalized genders. It just always is in terms of the care, the consequences, and the long-term problems. And something I've also been thinking about recently is about my experience with this is also shocking to me because I'm the exception. I am, you know, someone that has been in sexual health spaces since I was honestly in high school, that has been in a family that is extremely sex positive, that is extremely, you know, open about talking about our bodies, about anything like that. And that's not the majority of women's experiences. It's just not. And if I I'm having trouble being heard if I am having such pushback when I, you know, I feel like a lot of the the shame and stigma I've worked to overcome or, or I haven't had to deal with as much as other people. If myself as the patient that, you know, can get to the story quickly, that can talk about my genitals in depth, can tell you how I'm feeling, knows the language of a labia minora, of a labia majora, of talking about the different parts of understanding anatomy, who's been in these spaces doing activist work for so long, is struggling, how is the average woman doing who, you know, probably doesn't know all the language, like why would you necessarily, who can't really get within seven minutes to talking in depth about their pain or their genitals, who feels really intimidated within a medical encounter to speak up, to ask questions and doesn't even know where to begin. And I think that's why with Medical Her Story, I'm so proud that we've given different opportunities to, you know, share your story, whether that's on the website, whether that's attending one of our narrative writing workshops, whether it's coming to a patient advocacy workshop and getting some of those tips and tricks about how to learn about your body more, how to be your own advocate, how to do research, because often I'm so surprised that that's discouraged in medical spaces. The amount of times I've been asked, have you Googled your symptoms? And I just want to say, I'm pursuing a, I'm pursuing a PhD um, in chronic yeast infections. Like, yes, I've Googled these symptoms, you know, but often it's like, I know if you challenge authority in some of these settings, it's not going to go over well for you. And I think that's just so funny to me. Like, why wouldn't you want your patient to be the most informed, the mo- most like well-researched, the most up-to-date on information? Because we know physicians don't have the time. They're not sitting down reading about, you know, the brand new uh, medication for yeast infections that just got approved in the United States. They're not reading about the new clinical trial um, testing different, um, you know, solutions in terms of probiotics for chronic yeast infections. Like they're not the ones reading up on that. So if patients aren't doing that work, who is? Like, I think that's another gap between the scientific community and then the clinical community that patients can sometimes help bridge, but only if you have that education, only if you're able to read a scientific article, only if you have library access to get that article. Like there's so many different barriers within this. So I want to recognize, you know, my privilege of having that language, that institutional access, that confidence, that comfortability, but that that's still not enough that you, you know, so I really just want people to know it's not you. It's not that you're not, you know, the perfect patient. I'm pretty damn close to that in these spaces and I'm still getting treated like this. I'm still being gaslit and belittled having all of, you know, what else could I have 
a PhD in the condition you live with? What else could you have to help you advocate? Um, so I think, you know, maybe a medical degree, maybe I'll go back for that. And then, then they'll, they'll finally get that care. But I think, you know, I think also moral of the story, like there is hope out there as much as, you know, I feel like all the podcasts prior to this ended with how, you know, and now I don't see medical care. And I'm so happy to be doing this one with you today of talking about, you know, I've started again and it's, it's a different story this time. So I definitely want to amplify that and give a shout out to the physicians that, that get it and that are doing that care because, you know, I was losing hope there for a while. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. And I'm so happy that your story has a different, and I'm air quoting ending because it's mm-hmm. not really the ending for you. Yeah. The ending of your story at this point in time is different than all the other times that you've told it, which is incredible. And I'm so sorry that it took you so long to get that new ending that you've been looking for, but I'm hopeful for you that hopefully this ending is just the beginning of a new chapter mm-hmm. in your book. And um, I really, really hope that that happens for you. And if anybody is going through the same thing or something similar in terms of you're not finding answers and you're telling the same story over and over and over again, I hope that this gives you hope to find your new ending, to keep advocating for yourself and to keep trusting your gut that something's not right Mm -hmm. and that there is someone out there that can help you and you just have to find the right fit. Exactly. I think that's such a great sentiment. Um, Yeah. I don't know if we want to end it on that note, but I think it's fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to end it, but I would love for you to tell us a little bit about where people can find you and people can find Medical Her Story because I would love for, I would love to link it in the show notes so that people can go and tell you their stories as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you can find us, our website is medicalherstory.com and you can find us on any social media at Medical Her Story. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, whatever your preference is for that. And there are so many different ways for you to get involved. So if you are listening and feel like you have a story to share, we would love to help you write it. We have a very trauma-informed team who've all written their own stories for the website that'll help guide you through the process. Um, And as was said here today about, you know, the ending of your story being a bit more fluid, Medical Her Story really respects that. And because of that, we allow authors to come back and edit their stories at any time to change the ending, to add to them, to create a part two. Um, We really respect authorship of our authors and we allow, you know, you to make all final edits and you also get a custom graphic designed for you that represents your story. We are not fans of, you know, fruits and flowers representing our genitalia. Um, We'd much rather create something custom for you that really empowers you and and speaks to your story. Um, So to do that, you can also email us info at medicalherstory.com to get in touch. And if you want to attend our events, sign up for a workshop um, or collaborate with us in different ways or even join our team again social media is the best way to do that we're always up to something new and would love to see you that is awesome again Tori thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story and hopefully empowering others to do the same amazing thanks so much for having me thank you thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the women's health collective podcast until next time 
Thanks for tuning in to the Women's Health Collective podcast, a production of First Years Maternal Health. Visit our website at firstyearsmaternalhealth.com slash podcast to view show notes as well as catch up on our latest episodes. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook under the Women's Health Collective podcast for all the latest updates related to the show. Loved the content of this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message, write a review, or screenshot the episode and tag us on social media. Want to be a part of something bigger? Head over to Facebook and join our Empowered Women's Wellness community to find your village and ask all your burning questions.